it is still Christmas, as David talked about in uh, the beginning of the, the service. And last week, uh, on, on Christmas Eve, David looked at the birth narrative of Christ that we have in Luke. And Luke tells the Christmas story. And as David did that, he invited us to peel back some of the things we add to the Christmas story so we could better wonder of the mystery of God uh, being born among us. And this week in John, we have something a little Different. He doesn't tell the story. He doesn't start with the birth story of Jesus. He doesn't start with a genealogy. He starts by by saying what all this means. He has a grand theological and philosophical scope. So John says what the birth of Jesus means, not just the facts of the birth of, of Jesus. And here's a trivial example of, I think, what John is trying to do here one of the the key things that John is trying to do in this prologue and this beginning of his gospel. So before David officially came on board as our rector this past summer, we had a staff retreat to plan for the fall. And as a team building game of sorts, we played this game where one person would be looking at a picture and describing it to the other person who cannot see the picture, and they're trying to tell that other person what to draw. But they can't say, like, draw a house or draw a dog. They have to say, draw a line here, draw a, draw a, a circle there. And so you get a fun exercise in communication with very interesting results. Now, my, my favorite team combination in this was David Locke Canina and Kim Harris. And I have a picture here of what they came up with. The suspense is building. Okay, so that's hard to, to, to see. So on this next slide, I have it larger. Okay, so it's, it's hard to see, but what the one on the right is supposed to be, it's not supposed to be a turkey, it's supposed to be an alligator. Um, and the one on the left, I don't remember if that's supposed to be a snake or a buffalo or what, but, but it's an interesting expression of modern art. Um, and this was a fun and funny exercise but for lots of people, this is kind of how they feel like it is w- w- with God. Many people might think that God exists, but they can't really know what he's like. At best, w- w- what we have is second or third hand information from someone else that leaves us with a crude caricature that we're not sure if we really like. Some people, when they think of, I want to know what God's like, are left with those pictures and think, I don't like what I see. But the wonder of the incarnation, the, the wonder of Christmas, is that we don't have to wonder what God is like. The, the, the wonder of the incarnation is that Jesus reveals God's heart for us. That's what we see here in this passage in John, how Jesus reveals God's heart for us. And that's what we're going to look at in this 
passage, and in this passage there's some symmetry to, to it. Perhaps you noticed it when we read it, but the very beginning and the very end of the passage talk about how, how Jesus, or the Word, is w- with God. And then next, as you work your way in, it talks about how John the Baptist witnessed to what God was like. Then next on the way in, it, it, it talked about how Jesus came among us. And then in the very middle, it talks about why Jesus did that. And so we're, we're going to work our way towards the middle of this passage as we look at how Jesus' incarnation reveals God's heart for us. And along the way, we're going to ask three basic questions. One is, how is it that Jesus can reveal God? Two is, how does Jesus reveal God? And three is, what does Jesus reveal about God? So first, how can Jesus reveal God? To start, let's take a look at the beginning of our passage. In John 1, we begin, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, in in verse 17, John will reveal that when he's talking about the word here, he's talking about Jesus. But if we were the original audience of this, of this gospel, that might not have been immediately clear because when he uses the word, there's already a loaded context associated with that t- term, both for Greeks and for Jews. So if you were a Greek reader of the Gospel of John, and John is talking about the word, which in Greek means logos, you're already thinking of of something. In Greek thought, the word for logos got at like the logic of the universe, like the principles and essence of, of the universe and how we could then with our own logic try to understand it. It got at what were the principles of the world as we know it. But if you were a Jewish person and you were reading this gospel, you would think something else entirely. When you're thinking of the word, you might be thinking of the word of the Lord. And if you read your Old Testament, then you would see how hundreds of times there's this phrase, and the word of the Lord came to a prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. God's word comes, and you want to know what God's word is so you could know what to do or maybe know what God is like. But from both of these backgrounds, the, the thing you're asking is what? What is this word? But John is saying the thing we have to be asking is not what, but who. Who is this word? Because this word is is not a principle. It's not a proposition. It's a person. And this word is a person who is uniquely able to tell us what God is like. Because as John says, this word was in the very beginning with God and is himself God. So he is uniquely qualified to tell us 
what God is, is, is like. Um, and we, we get that again towards the end of it. Towards the end of this passage, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him, him known. It's saying that no one has seen God, but Jesus, who is with God, has made God known. And that word at the end there for made God known, it, it uses the, the Greek word that uh, we get our word exegete from or exegesis. And for most of you, if I say exegete or exegesis, you might say that might as well be a Greek word. I don't know what that is. I never used that word. But the, the, in, in seminary world, if you exegete a passage, it's how you interpret a passage. It's, you're looking at the historical context, at the literary context, at the structure of the passage, at the meaning of individual words to get a clear sense of what that passage is saying. And by going to seminary and taking all these classes, you might be better equipped to exegete a passage. And if you like want to give someone a really good compliment, you'd be like, yeah, he's a really solid exegete of God's word. But what John is saying is that Jesus exegetes God to us. Jesus makes God comprehensible to us. So we can know what God is like because Jesus, who has always been with God, is able to reveal God to us. And here's why this matters for you and for me. This means we don't have to be left in the dark as to what God is like. John says that the light shines in the darkness and the light continues to shine in the, in the, in the darkness. Perhaps you thought you had a sense of who God was, but then some unspeakable trauma or tragedy happened in your life, and now you find yourself uncertain as to what God is really like. Or, or, or maybe it's not some cataclysmic event. M maybe you thought you knew God at one point, but just like in, s in some instances a couple grows apart. That's what it was like for you and God. So you feel like you don't know God anymore. Or, or, or maybe you're stuck in a pattern of sin. So it, it feels like you can't see God clearly. You're so weighed down by guilt. What John is telling us is that even if all of these things are true, we can still have a clear picture of what God is like. Wherever you find yourself this morning, if you want a glimpse of God, you're not left in the dark. A light has shone. If you want to know God, if you want to see what he is like, look to Jesus. The wonder of the incarnation is that we don't have to wonder what God is like because Jesus, who has always been with God, who himself is God, can reveal God. So Jesus can reveal God, but how exactly does he do it? We, in verses 9 and 10, it says that Jesus came into the world, but in verse 14, John adds more detail as to what he means by that. In verse 14, it says, the word became flesh. How did Jesus re reveal God? 
he revealed who God was by becoming human just like you and me. God might be hard to understand, but we know what it's like to be human. By taking on flesh, Jesus showed us what God is like in a way that's up close and personal to us, in a way that's comprehensible to you and to me. And I, I think John really captures this with the, the next phrase that he uses. He says, the word took on flesh, and then it says, and the word dwelt among us. Now, there's a whole sermon just in this one phrase right here, but I'll try and be brief. A a, a literal translation of the word dwelt among us could be, and the word pitched a tent, or and the word lived in a tent. And you might be thinking, wait a second, I think I know my Bible stories. I don't remember Jesus going camping. And he... He didn't, as far as we know, but what John is doing is he's getting at some background in the Old Testament. Uh, In the beginning, humanity walked with God in the garden. We dwelt with God in peace, but as we know, we tried to to make ourselves God. We tried to put ourselves in in the place of God, and As we turned away from God, God cast us out of the garden, out of the presence of God, out of the dwelling place of God. And after that, there was profound distance between humanity and God. To the extent that God dwelt with people, it was piecemeal. It was here and there, and in an appearance to, to Abraham here, or an appearance to Jacob there, or with Moses in the the burning bush. We, we no longer knew the, the presence of, of God. But then when God appeared to Moses at the, at the bush, he says, I'm going to rescue my people and I'm going to make them my p- people. And what we see in the story of Exodus is after God delivers the people from slavery, at one point, God tells them to make a tent to make a tent of meeting, to make a tabernacle. And in this tabernacle would be the place where God could dwell with his people. And we read about it in Exodus 40 and verses 34 to 35. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So we see here in this tent, God is dwelling with his people, but there's a problem. God's glory is so profound that when God's glory is fully manifest there, Moses can't go in. There's another problem too. It's that Moses was the, so like there are some times where Moses can't go in, but even at the other times, Moses was the only person who could go in. The, the, the glory of God, the presence of God was not accessible to all people. And so we see this tent was only a partial answer to the problem of God trying to dwell with his people. 
And at, at one point you might remember that, that, that Moses asked God to show himself to him. That, that, that Moses said, God, reveal yourself to, to me. And God told Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And what he reveals to, to, to Moses is through metaphorical language, just the back of, of God, that Moses could not truly glimpse God. Moses could not fully be in the presence of God. And yet here, John says, God dwelt among us. That thing, that, that sight that Moses longed to see, Mary held in her hands. That presence that was overpowering, so strong that no one could go near it, walked the streets of Nazareth and people came up to him and touched him. Jesus reveals God by taking on flesh. He reveals God in a way that we can understand him, in a way that we can be near with God as in a way that was impossible up until then. And in doing so, he reveals God's heart of God wanting to dwell with his people, of God wanting to be with his people. And that is what we see in the very middle of this passage where it says, but to all who did receive him, to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus takes on flesh so we can become sons and daughters of God. If what God wanted was for us to get our act together, was for us to just live right, God could have given us another set of the Ten Commandments, right? God already has told us what to do, but God wants more than that. God wants us to dwell with him. God wants us to be his sons and his daughters. That is why Jesus took on flesh. That is what Jesus reveals about God, about how God wants to dwell with us, how God wants to make a way for you and me to live with him. That is, is what is a consistent testimony throughout all of church history. Athanasius, who was a church father from Africa, he said, God became man that man might become God. Augustine said that God wanted to be the son of man and he wanted men and women to be the sons of God. Luther said that for the word becomes flesh precisely so that the flesh may become the word. C.S. Lewis said that the Son of God became a man to enable men and women to become sons of God. This is what we see in the incarnation. We see a clear picture of God and we see a clear picture of his heart for us that he wants us to be able to walk with him, that he wants us to be able to know the love of God as a, a daughter or a son knows the love of their father. 
that is what we see in the incarnation. That is the wonder of wonders we see in the word made flesh. We can know what God is like and we can know his heart for, for us. That does not mean that there will be nothing left to wonder about. It does not mean that we'll know everything there is to know about God. But it does mean that we don't have to be left in the dark. It does mean that we're not like Kim and David and the rest of the staff were, like trying desperately to, to, to get a sense of what that picture was like. God has given us a complete picture. That's why Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We can know what God is like and we can know his heart for us because the word took on flesh. Please pray with me. God, we thank you that you did not leave us in the dark, but drew near to us and revealed yourself in the person of your son. Wherever we are this morning, help us to see afresh who you truly are and those parts of our lives where we're wondering what you are like. Help us to look to Jesus so we can know, God, your heart for us. Amen.